I sometimes, but not, don't, don't, you don't have to worry about it too much. Um, hi. Hi. I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. And this is Avant's Gossip. Um, and so this is a podcast where we read stuff about our fashion design, whatever the fuck we want, really, to be completely honest. And then we talk about it. Yeah. And we talk about it because we want to talk about it. It's purely something that we're just excited to talk about subjects that interest us and we want to discuss them because no one else wants to hear it except for you listener (laughs) people want to hear it but it's hard to find it's really just our I was telling my mom because my mom has a book club and I was like yeah it's like me and Jackie have a book club but I can't have a book club with like a big group of people because I'm kind of an asshole yeah in those situations same because I'm just like oh and I also want to take up I want to hear only one person's opinion (laughs) your own (laughs) yeah um one okay uh, something about us is we were formerly called fascism we are now transferring to avant gossip and we're still in the midst of that transformation and we used to do at the beginning of every episode what's trending because we focus a lot on fashion and i think we should still utilize that let's do it okay so what's trending for you hope hags hagsing i hagsed i had a good summer um i feel like last summer was also really fun but i got a little overwhelmed it was like people were at our house all the time Mm -hmm. and there was just way too much going on this summer was also a lot of hosting and i did work a bunch and felt very exhausted at times but it just felt like the perfect amount of like intoxicating you know sometimes in summer you're more tired than you want to be because you're just doing the most I think Seattle people go a little crazy because they're like... We for sure do. We go so hard. It's like summer basically might as well be crack. It's like, yeah. It's like summer is Christmas if you're a a child. Like When you have six weeks of it, you are like, I got to get it in. Right. And it's like you just feel like you're supposed to be doing things all the time. Everyone's having fun shindigs. I got to do something for the Seattle Art Museum. I got to do something for this other art event that was happening and that was super fun i had my birthday party a week ago which and was tell like, everybody your theme because it was such a fun theme it was italian rest like got italian restaurant but make it gaudy specifically inspired by like 1970s new york uh italian restaurants and it was a little bit catholic it was kind of like moonstruck <laughs> We definitely bought a cross, and I was like, no one's going to get this. <laughs> Do you think people did? I don't think anybody – no one mentioned it. At least to me, they didn't. Which is pro- a problem. Yeah. I, we wanted people to say, what the fuck is this cross doing Yeah, here? I was explaining it. Ryan and I took a risograph printing class, and uh, it, it came up. I mean, it had been the <laughs> night before, and everyone was doing, like, Italian designs in the class. Really? Literally so random. Like, I have to show you some of the stuff. It was, like, one person did a caprese salad thing. One person did, like, a whatever. And I was like, oh, my God. Food's this, very end. I was like, this is literally the aesthetic of my party I just had last night. And then I explained it to them, and I was like – I told them about the cross, and I was like, it was a bit Catholic. And it w- it's, I think, confusing for people to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Catholicism is so in though like Dolce and Gabbana yeah. being Italian never goes out of fashion except it's just because it's gaudy and like it's either camp or in fashion you know mm-hmm, what I mean so mm-hmm. and I don't know being Catholic is never going to go out of fashion because one is religion but two it's like they really nailed it down they you know such an aesthetic yeah I mean that's where art began was like the Catholic church was like I guess all we need to make people look like 
the reason that they're so talented is because God was inserted in them yeah and so and then took over the brush like that was like the idea behind a lot of the catholic like you know yeah and so that's kind of what i was going for i wanted the party to feel so inspired that it was like a like an act of god (laughs) Um, mostly the reason i decided to have a pizza party was literally because i was like brian knows how to make pizza and i want to do as little as possible during this party yeah like i wanted to just have a good time and so I was like, the theme was delegating, really. And so luckily I got too drunk that I couldn't do anything. So everyone was helping. Even though your birthday was actually r- literally like a couple days after the fall, like equinox. Oh, so you you feel like this doesn't belong in my hags? No, I don't. Edit? I'm sorry. That's fair. <laughs> well, it's kind of just like everything I did since it was it was very much on the precipice of like, uh fall and summer in that we had like an insane amount of rain afterwards anyway but we just had fun that was what that's how we got here it was fun i've been having fun you have been having fun and i've been right there with you having fun is always the goal yeah what's what's trending for you jackie i would say i wasted a lot of my summer (laughs) right because you were like doing a lot I was doing a lot I was never I didn't go to the water once oh I did but it never like it was never a moment of it was more like okay there's the water it was never a moment of indulgence neither of us jumped in the water this summer do you think that I mean I feel like that's I don't know like to me I'm like it was it even summer I I went for bike rides that was like what I did Uh during the summer I I know that it was very horrifying to some of our very swimming inclined friends that we didn't get in the water but it's like you know what when we have like an art empire in a few years. <laughs> You'll all wish you'd stayed dry. <laughs> so true. What's trending for me is, I don't know, me being completely delusional. And it's really been helping me out. Because um, I'm just like, I can do that. And, and then I do. Um, or I'm like, no, they're obsessed with me. And it really, okay, I, th- I figured out a trick to like being pumped about going to work. Mm. Convince yourself people are in love with you. Oh, yeah. And then get dressed up for them and like so they'll be like completely blown away about how in love with them they are. And they'll always be like, wow, what outfit? Even though you maybe only said two words to this person, just make assumptions up that they're obsessed. Do you feel like that's helping you do a good job at work or does that just get you in the door? It just gets me in the door. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely doesn't help because I'm faking at the computer when they pass by. (laughs) You're just like trying to look really really uh i don't know a dream girl yeah like yeah i'm just like suddenly plopped into their life um it's been great and just like other things where i'm like oh i don't know like um (laughs) we're we we applied for an art thing and it was completely delusional concept and i'm so into it like you think the concept was delusional in the sense no it was just insane it's insane like i'm so i feel like we're so lucky to have each other um and yeah so the basically concept is like um how what i want why nudie suit meets like mycology but like so we all did our own thing and all of it was crazy (laughs) and then uh but one of the craziest ones was our friend rye that made like a doll (laughs) and it was just like the fact that we were all like twiddling around for like making sure the doll was set up it's well and like so funny to me the way it happened it was i do feel very lucky basically brian sent me that thing it was like a call for proposals i was like okay i want to do something on nudie suits you and rye were like sweet let's do it you came up with 
a concept that was like, oh, let's use plastic, like transparent plastic mm -hmm. to make the nudie suit. And then Rye brought in all of this like queer ecology to it. And so it really just like, it's just so fucking cool to like make shit with your friends. <laughs> it really is. And it's just so funny. I don't know. It's just like we're goofy. We're goofing. We're goofing around by also like practicing our like our craft and also just like, I don't know. Nothing has to be that serious. Mm -hmm. And but it, it's nice when you have a deadline that gets you to do stuff like exactly. I not to make this all about me. But like <laughs> Brian was out of town that week and I literally just spent the whole week like embroidering onto plastic yeah. while watching TV. And it was like amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I don't know. So that's been my summer. It's been delusional kind of like coming up with stuff and like being like I'm gonna do it and you know what I really think I am and that's what helps that's what helps me get through the day it's just like uh, we commit to something and I say we I, I can't do most of the stuff without my friends but like but also I commit to stuff things on a on my level and it gets done and it, even if it's fucking stupid and crazy and I love it anyway yeah, you have to have imagination exactly like if you can't imagine something happening then it won't happen Ex exactly and I think people I don't know I just want I want everybody to feel the way I do and like um I think a lot of people do but I just don't I don't know I don't, I don't know what holds people back from consistently not having a hundred hobbies at once <laughs> yeah you know bless their heart <laughs> like I yeah I feel so ridiculous when I talk to my coworkers who have kids they'll be like what'd you do this weekend and I'm like well you know first I biked a hundred miles then I like em embroidered my friend's Pinterest page onto some sheets of plastic and then I threw an Italian Catholic birthday party yeah by the way your whiteboard's still here with I mean it's my whiteboard but we used it to like write down all the pizza names and it's so funny and there was a portrait of me with like a huge rack and a six-pack yeah happy birthday yeah. <laughs> it's it was yeah and I don't want to take it down but we should get on to the show now yeah, let's get on to the show okay okay we should snap or something. Boop. One, two, three. Okay. Um, okay. This was the hardest episode for me to write. It was the hardest I've ever had. Do you think it's because you had so much time to do it? I think it's because this episode touches on a lot. This episode is basically a summary of season one of our podcast in a way. Wow. Because, and it's taking a lot of those concepts. And I feel like it's really communicating the thesis of our first season, which was like, that clothes matter and, and saying that they don't is is fucking delusional. Right. And um, and a lot of people say that to my face. A lot of people say that. And I also drew from two different books. And but hopefully it feels coherent. So, OK, we're going to talk about street style today. So what comes to your mind when you think of street style? I think of people dancing in the street wearing cool clothes. Okay. I mean, it just feels like dance is so a part of street dance is so part of street style or street performance is a lot of part of street style. So usually and, and also just people it's in the public sphere. People are just in the public sphere and they look attractive and they're probably doing something to get your eye to attract to them. That's how I think of street style. I love that. Um, our our conversation today looks at street style as a history of subcultures and the geopolitical context that they emerge out of, focusing on the 20th century and why it was so ripe for these movements. Um, and it's about the movement of aesthetics between the elite and the poor and the different patterns it can take. 
And it's about the role of the public sphere, specifically the street, in nurturing these so-called style tribes. Um, and then I also want to talk about whether subculture can exist anymore when so much of our social lives exists in digital spaces. Um, we're going to start by talking about the U.S. We're also going to talk about London because you can't talk about subcultures without talking about London. And then we're also going to um, go to Japan for a minute. <laughs> I we Yeah, London, we're making a trip in 2025 because like all the research that we ended up doing kept coming back to London yeah. for one reason or another. And I'm, yeah, so it's just hard to get away from that place. Yeah. It's the colonial central, you know, like anyways. Yeah. Um, and so here is our first text <laughs> that we're going to be, um, it's by Ted Polemus. It's called street style. Um, Ted Polemus is an American anthropologist, writer, and photographer who lives and works on England's South Coast. Obviously, I'm quoting here because if I was describing it, I would just say England. I'm like, South Coast? I don't know. Do they yeah. even have that? Um, his work focuses on fashion and anti-fashion, identity, and the socio sociology of style and the body. Um, and the way that this book came about was that he was the creator and curator of an exhibition called Street Style at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. And so... Um, this book was written for the exhibition. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, just so y'all know, Victoria and Albert Museum is the coolest museum. They have some of the coolest stuff. Yeah. Um, and when I first... That sounded so lame. The way I just I, described so if that. you didn't know, this museum is cool. <laughs> uh, and when I first started looking through this book, it I was kind of like, oh, it's like a little listicle. It's like, oh, the new romantics. Oh, glam, hippies. Mm. And... I didn't really, I didn't realize how rich of a text it was going to be mm -hmm. and how like it is a very coherent narrative that's, that's woven through. Um, and so the first section of the book is called Hanging Out. It starts a street corner in Harlem, 1940, outside a South London cafe, 1952, Greenwich Village, New York, 1958, the intersection of Haight and Ashbury, San Francisco, 1987, World's End, The King's Road, London, 1976. Auspicious Moments, The Art of Being at the Right Place at the Right Time. Just hanging around, looking sharp, all dressed up and nowhere to go, doing nothing in particular, making history. Without the hipsters, teddy boys, beats, rockers, rude boys, mods, surfers, hippies, punks, b-boys, fly girls, ragamuffins, and all the other street style originals, most of us would be left with nothing to wear. He says, in the past, Western culture was most at ease and most recognizable within grand interiors. Today, as high culture has given way to popular culture, it is the litmus test of street credibility that is crucial. If it won't cut on the corner, forget it. Um, and so this is written in the 90s. So, oh. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. Hold on. Is it in the pool? Oh, we look too hot. Okay, back on. Okay, so Polemus writes about film depictions of the street, a 1930s movie called 42nd Street that depicts New York as bustling with human life, people mingling, checking each other out. There is mayhem, madness, even murder, but the excitement and sense that everything is happening there is so tangible that you want to reach out and grab a handful. He talks about Francis Ford Coppola's 1983 film Rumblefish, which depicts a group of tragically flawed lowlives who are going nowhere. He writes... We see the street in dazzling black and white, the flickering neon signs, the kids playing in the gush of water from the fire hydrant, the hookers, the pimps, the bottle-toting drunks. Up what is literally a dead-end alley, we are attacked by thugs and left for dead. 
but we'll be back because we just can't resist the seductiveness of the real thing. Capital T, capital R, capital, capital, you know, all the letters are capital. The real thing. The, the real, real thing. thing. Um, and so basically he's describing people who are on the outskirts of society. They're rebels. They're teenagers. Maybe they're just working class. And this is. It's giving the outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what street style is. It's not a promenade through a plaza. It's hanging out. And the only people who hang out in public space are poor people. Poor people. Yes. I've been thinking about this a lot because it's like rich people have actual space inside their home for people to stay, to people to visit, people to like gather at. And poor people don't have that even but like it's even worse with middle class because it's like they don't have that we don't have that and it's also too expensive to go outside like to go out to eat and it's like i feel like community comes a lot of the time from like life or death situations like you need it to survive and when you're in the middle class a lot of people don't feel that threat Mm -hmm. so there's just like lack of community and lack of enjoying things in a group together. Yeah, it feels really, there feels like there's a few, like, it has to do with so many things. Like, class is a huge thing. And then the way we design our public spaces also impacts, like, whether people are just, like, hanging out outside. And and so what we're talking about, basically, is poor people existing in public space or the youth because they're also often unwanted in public spaces and they're untethered to a 40-hour work week. Some call it loitering. And when urban designers are hired by cities to enliven public spaces, these are not the people that municipalities are wanting to draw into their spaces. Like, For sure. Urban designers will go to a place and be like, we need to enliven this place. And you're like, there's literally people here. And then they're like, but are these the people that we want there? Yeah, no, which doesn't make it public. Public means everyone, period. And like, homelessness is an aesthetic (laughs) that people do not want to see apparently even though it's in public spaces yeah and polemus writes uses dress and body decoration to signal what is most important at that historical moment throughout most of our history that message has been i am rich or i am powerful if today more and more people use their dress to their dress style to assert i am authentic it is simply evidence of our hunger for the genuine article in an age which seems to so many um, to be one of simulation and hype. Polemus writes about how postmodern theorists from Frederick Jameson to Jean Baudrillard, I told myself I was going to look up all these pronunciations before the Don't be too hard on yourself. um, They see the elusiveness of authenticity as the fundamental crisis of our age. This is the 90s that he's talking about. Whereby people who are going nowhere in life have none of the things that society defines as important, money, prestige, success, or fame, but they have a monopoly on what is considered the real thing um and so what he's getting at basically is like appropriation like more or less where it's like we you know like we're uh and what is on the other side of the coin the elite the people in power the bourgeois aesthetics move between these two groups in different ways and if you want to simplify it it's either by bubbling up or by trickling down um okay so people don't want to be poor but there's something for that's like very alluring about the aesthetic of poverty, poverty and uh, and of like subcultural groups who are on the fringes of society for whatever reason. And so aesthetics move between 
the elite and the people on the people who are poor or, or are like uh, maligned by society for whatever reason. And so this that's called either trickling down or bubbling up. So Amelia Groom writes of trickling down as class imitation followed by class aversion. Our true fans will remember that we did an episode on Amelia Groom's piece about Harajuku last season. Basically, with trickling down, the elite define the aesthetic. Whatever Vogue writes is cool is cool. Whatever's on the runways, whatever celebrities or royalty are wearing is passed down and emulated by the people below them, by cheaper brands, everyone else. Um, and then I guess the class aversion part is that eventually the elite are like, ew, and they move on to something else. Um, and Polemus writes that that's kind of like how it used to always be. Rich people had the good clothes because they could afford them. And they also controlled the media because, you know, like publishing empires and stuff. And so they're defining the dominant cultural aesthetic. He writes about this fashion dictatorship, so to speak, where basically everyone just followed trends. Magazine writers might as well have been writing edicts when they were announcing the color of the season. The shape of clothes was based on the trend, not the shape of an individual's body. And it reminds me of this movie I used to watch as a kid called Thoroughly Modern Millie, which is um, pretty racist when you watch it now. It has Julie Andrews. But in the beginning, it's, in the, it's about the 1920s. And in the beginning, Julie Andrews is walking down the street and there's all these like flat-chested girls it's wearing like their drop waist clothes and their beads hang straight. And she's like, why? Like, I want to look like them. And then she puts on the clothes and it's like her beads won't hang straight because she's got big boobs and like it. But she's just like, you know, it's she's got to wear the shape that is popular at the time. It's it's like everyone it's there weren't a ton of like trends to pick from. Right. At like most points throughout history, basically until the 90s when. We get like pluralism, he says, which is like, desi like designers start doing like a lot of different things from each other. Interesting. And so like post-World War II, Dior creates the new look. Do you, do you know what the new look is? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, cinched waist, like feminine. It's like making sure that it was difficult for women to uh, do a job. Like that was essentially, totally. yeah. And so, and it was a rejection of the loose cuts of the twenties and thirties, um, for a more feminine look. It's basically like, Hey, I know you guys had your fun working in the factories during the war, but like, we need you to get back to being domestic. We need you to look, sit up and look pretty. Yeah. we were, And they did. They, Honestly, the look was, wow. But yeah, problematic, yeah. I guess. So, and so Dior creates this new look and, um, everyone adopts it and that's what we know the hats the gloves the it's like Audrey Hepburn and breakfast at Tiffany's is Dior kind of look yeah and so that's the 50s aesthetic um, but then the 60s happens you have an explosion of pop culture and specifically youth culture you have teenagers emerge as a consumer class for the first time Ted writes it was the 60s which at long last recognized that culture is not the prerogative of the upper class a realization which revitalized our society with creative talent and new blood. And this, of course, um, is the era where Vivian Westwood and a lot of other um, working class people in the UK are able to go to art school um, because of policies that were passed in London, in London. They didn't do this in the US until later, but right. And so this is this spread this new this generation of artists who were trained specifically in graphic design because of the way because of just how the schools ended up. 
and thus they could create their own media. Yeah. And so I think that was like a huge part in this explosion of subcultures was them being able to produce their own media. Um, yeah, because like like the saying goes, if you have control of the media, you have control of the people. Yeah. It's like they were taking control. Right. And it's like, how do you spread an aesthetic? I mean, there's different ways to do it, but really the 60s is where people are like, okay, stuff's bubbling up now. These youth subcultures, these groups of degenerates, radicals, or just poor people being poor and making art start to define or at least heavily influence pop culture. Um, and as their aesthetics bubble up into the mainstream um, and, you know, ends up on the runways and yada yada. So both scenarios, whether you're looking at like punk in London or you're looking at the new look in the U.S., they both are saying something. Whether whether the, an aesthetic is coming from the elite or coming from like uh, a disenfranchised group, they both have a message, mm-hmm. right? Like the new look's message was it's after World War II, we're going to like get back into our roles, live the American dream, yada, yada. Whereas like... What do you mean by we? Not me. <laughs> well, you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, but, but you mean... That's what the new look was like. Yeah. And so it's... I guess what I'm saying is like both aesthetics that are born out of power or aesthetics that are born out of not power, both have a message, message. and a meaning. Um, yeah. And... And one's like... Yeah. One's empowering. One's kind of not. One's like status quo and one is challenging the status quo. Exactly. And um, thank you for making that clear. (laughs) Because basically once the elite has defined the aesthetic, it's rooted in upholding whatever dominant culture exists. And so to wear something else is essentially saying, I don't agree with this. Yeah. Um, Amen. And the most simple way to disagree, as Polemus writes, like the tenant, one of the main tenets of street style is that you're either dressing up or you're dressing down. Mm-hmm. You're either dressing fancier than the occasion calls for, or you're dressing less fancy. So examples. Um, yeah, I'm like, well, grunge, sure. So okay, let's start with dressing up. How do you disagree by dressing up? Well, the zooties, um, the zooties wore long, loose fitting suits made with lots of fabric. They were mostly black and brown people, jazz musicians, and they were dressing up. They were doing the most. They were taking up space in the world and with their outfits. It's a way of like asserting like that you are like of high stat. Like it's, I guess like if you're wearing a suit in your day-to-day life when you wouldn't normally, it's like a way of being like, yeah, I'm I'm elite. I can be important. I'm like I'm I'm gonna wear a fucking suit or whatever. Yeah, don't tell me not to look good. Don't tell me not to look good. And this became contentious during World War II because there were clothing rations, and so the fact that their suits used that much fabric right. became seen as like unpatriotic. So I mean, yeah, and bad for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, that's not a sustainable look, but I get it. It is a statement in itself, but. That was a lot of fabric. I remember that being a thing. So Polemus writes, it became commonplace for gangs of Marines to ambush zoot suitors, strip them down to their underwear and leave them helpless in the streets. There was a horrible incident where a gang of drunken sailors rampaged through a cinema after discovering two zoot suitors and they dragged them onto the stage as the film was being screened, stripped them in front of the audience and peed on their suits. Oh my God. Yeah. Old school racism. I mean, I'm sure it's still like this, but like old school racism was so public and demoralizing in that way. Wait, so what was the film? Do we know? No. Okay. It was just like some <laughs> movie that people were, I don't know. 
Um, and then there's an offshoot of Zooties called Zazus. Do you know about Zazus? No. So Zazus were also being like fancy boys, but it was in German occupied France. So um, also during World War Two, the same time period. But yeah. ger- it was in Paris and Germany was occupying Paris. Mm-hmm. And so we write about this in Lee Miller's. Uh, like while reading about Lee Miller and one of the things that I read about was like that they were making really elaborate hats to kind of like defy like there was also clothing rations and it was you know the German occupying military was trying to really have like a an experience of austerity you know like they they didn't want people to be like stoked that they were occupied and so like there were I mean that's not why specifically I was like yeah they do they were all high on meth they wanted everybody to be stoked about them being there well they they I, they wanted to save money but didn't they also wanted to take over the paris fashion scene they wanted to steal the paris fashion scene but so there were clothing rations there in the same as there was in the u.s also the uk and so zazu's like their fancy dress was a way of saying like you're not going to get us down we're con- going to continue to make our suits like they uh had like these kind of like poofy hairstyles yeah they sound like divorcees yeah it's a city full of divorces being like nah yeah. you're not gonna make me look like shit because of your stupid ass right it was like their revenge dress exactly and people were also fucking mad so they're the french collaborationists is like the french the french people who sided with the nazis um there was a group of them that uh found some zazus and cut off their hair because their poofy hair symbolized that's so mean their, yeah so it's like the worst version of a haircut. Like, you know, when you go in and you're already crying about the haircut anyways, because you just got a haircut. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, damn. it would be. It's like hard to feel good about your look when it when you got your haircut under those circumstances. <laughs> yeah, they did not care about the edges. They didn't care about. No, I'm sure that they're, they didn't layers. Like, they didn't do a nice like they didn't get one of the head massages during that the haircut. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so after World War II, you know, we have the new look, which was mostly for women. And then for men, like the normal ass gray suit symbolized the American dream um, and like this idea of upward mobility. So like working class or like middle class people, they were wearing suits to work because they were like, it's the American dream. Like, even though I'm not actually rich, I'm like middle class. I'm wearing a suit to work and because it's like it, it's the American dream, whatever. Um And many were grappling from the transition from rural to urban life because the Dust Bowl like made it so a lot of people like their farmland was fucked up. And then also because of the needs for war production, a ton of people uh, went to work in factories. And so Western wear evolves to be this fantasy, this idealization of almost like cowboy Western lifestyle, except it's all made up because the, the music comes from Appalachia and then they like create an aesthetic that's comes from Hollywood and is based on like a myth of a cowboy that right. like doesn't actually exist. I thought about this a lot. I'm like, well, I heard a lot of it's like native people wore a lot of the cowboy stuff. Right. It was like a it was a huge like amalgamation of different cultures and it came to symbolize rural life in America. And that's it wasn't like rural in a certain like in the western frontier where it was like I don't know, a ranch. Like that was that was their version of rural. It's like ranching was a huge thing, and yeah. stilling. I guess it was yeah. Which and that and like that's the Hollywood influence where it was like Hollywood was putting out a bunch of like Western movies at the time right. that were like uh, pushing this aesthetic. And we've done a whole episode about 
nudie suits. So I'm going to keep myself from getting too into it. But some people describe this as um, like the first example of bubbling up because some working class people adopted a sort of like made up poor people aesthetic. Um, essentially, they start wearing jeans like people start wearing denim and that's like almost like middle class people cosplaying or like rural life through this fantasy of the cowboy. But at the same time, nudie suits kind of did the opposite because they took the suit and they dressed it up and it was this symbol of upward mobility. So like of a country bumpkin becoming a a star Mm. essentially. Um, But so, okay. So zoot suits, Zazu's that's disagreeing by dressing up how do you disagree by dressing down I think hippies and punks are good examples of that where Mm -hmm. it's like they um they're saying that like they like punks it was like against authority anti-consumerism yada yada and same with grunge yeah grunge um which was an offshoot of punk anyways yeah and so that's like yeah, so that dressing down as a way to basically be like, I don't agree. I don't agree with this. Consumerism is bad. Yeah. Consumerism. And it can mean a lot of different things. Like for the hippies, it was like, you know, they were against the war. They were against, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that that <laughs> section in this book yet, but they, they definitely had a casual aesthetic. I think we can all agree on that. Bubbling up becomes this pattern by which trends are starting to disseminate. And by the time Polemus writes the text that we're reading today, um, it's the 90s and he describes it as being a time of pluralism where different designers are proposing different looks. The mainstream isn't as powerful or as monolithic anymore. So how can we even be authentic anymore is kind of like his question. I mean, people in the 90s were talking about authenticity like fucking what's his face? Whose biography we read or memoir? Edward, Edward Enfold. Enfold. Yeah. I mean, that was, again, the grunge kind of ethos yeah was like being authentic right um it's just like funny to hear people grappling with these things like a while back where they're like we're in a simulation and you're like you don't even fucking know how bad it's gonna get yeah you think you're in a simulation now what because you have a vcr like (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're like the video camera is huge and they had to put it on their shoulder and they're like whoa simulation yeah you saw one billboard today i'm sorry yeah Dude, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Zoom. Have you logged into Zoom? Zoom? Have you logged into Zoom recently, y'all? It's ask you if you're okay with the AI assistance. It's oh, so interesting. creepy. Um, It's taking your likeness. Yeah. To uh, practice stuff. Woo! That's 2023 oh, for you. wow. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And I can't somehow figure out my Zoom recorder. So how does that? Anyway. That's, that's the thing. I'm like, I wish I, AI could just help me, like, understand the existing technology that i am using yeah it seems like technology is speeding up but somehow i am getting worse at it yeah i felt like at one point i was like ahead of the curve like like 2001 and so okay we've got these themes of bubbling up we've got these themes of authenticity and we have to talk about harajuku because it's a really interesting example of all of these concepts so in the 90s as well as before the 90s and after the 90s but especially the 90s Teenagers in Harajuku, which is a district in Shibuya, Tokyo, were forming so-called style tribes that dressed in loud, over-the-top outfits and occupied public space together. Some would do little dances. Some would pose for pictures. Some would just exist and, like, I don't know, be friends. And 
many of the Harajuku aesthetics were heavily based on American subcultures. Is that obvious? Does everyone know that? What? The, uh, like Harajuku aesthetics were heavily based on American subcultures. It was basically like cosplay of... Yeah, it seems like everybody knows what Harajuku is, except for me. When and when we did the episode, I was like, "Have you all ever heard about Harajuku?" And I was like, "Yeah, old news." I was like, "Who said Again, that?" Because I wasn't on Tumblr in two thousand nine. It was old news. I feel like literally the people that I wouldn't even say are in the know today at all knew about Harajuku. Like literally, everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." The street in Japan. I was like, "Okay," but do they know about it? Because like Gwen Stefani's music video, like how much Quite do they possibly. know about it? Quite possibly. Some of them were like, yeah, I went to go visit it in Japan. I was like, you went to, that's a thing that you did? Like people, it's a, yeah. I don't know. It's a tourist place. Right. Like yeah. Talk about bubbling up. Am I right? Yeah. So, uh, so like a lot of what Harajuku is or was, was like, okay, recreating the punk aesthetic, recreating the surfer aesthetic. And it was like this very meticulous, like, you know, detailed cosplay essentially of the subculture. And so it's, it's self-aware in its capitalism and its consumerism. And it's like not a subculture that is subject to recuperation. It's post-recuperation, mm. basically. Like they are the aesthetic of punk or surfer or whatever bubbled up into the mainstream. And then Harajuku takes the aesthetic, redoes it basically. And then it takes on a completely different meaning at that place in time. And so there isn't really like an ideological authenticity at stake because authenticity isn't the point. Amelia Broom writes that Harajuku street style identity is never political or ideological, but simply innovative fashion that determines group affiliation. So it's not like, so they have all these different style tribes and they all like wear matching outfits together and they like go hang out in the park and they dance and whatever. And it's not like each of the groups has like a different idea about society. You know what I mean? Like the point is like to, it's like about, it's it's not like a subculture in the same way in that like they don't have, it's not political is mm -hmm. what like Amelia Groom is writing. But I remember that. Right. But it is a subculture and the outfits they wear are subversive. And I'm just going to go a teeny tiny bit into this book called Amatora. Oh, we don't have, oh yeah, the camera. Yeah, we on. do. Ding. How Japan Saved American Style by W. David Marks. Um, so from 1603 to 1868, the Tokugawa military strictly regulated materials and patterns in Japan. Only the highest classes could wear silk, though people would like sneak it. They would like sew it into their into the inside of their garment secretly. Um, the country was isolationist, so they were like, they didn't want Western influence. They didn't trade with the U.S. until 1854. The U.S. just showed up and like demanded that they open their borders to trade, which is like so rude. It's like you have to trade with us. It's just it's just kind of it's a bully move. I mean, yeah, but I I, I think it's really funny how they're like, OK, I guess we will this time. I'm not really sure what happened because they really Japan made really really sure that it was inaccessible to trade like they turned it down for hundreds of years yeah and then they signed these treaties like after they got like after the u.s just showed up they stop recording it's never gonna it's not as simple as just press record apparently it's not yeah i bought backup batteries look at this i came prepared you were so prepared 
It's just like, okay, but go on. Um, so, okay, so they sign these treaties and it, it like, the, Japan goes into economic collapse. The treaties like don't, aren't good for them. Um, so then this reform-minded samurai group or person, whatever, t- takes over and it's the Meiji era. And this is a time when the country's leaders were like actively working to adopt Western technology and lifestyles. And they made all the samurai cut off their ponytails. Like there it's, was there was a haircut edict. They, I mean, that was always a move. That's always a move. I mean, as it's like a continuous colonial move. Is to make people change their hair. Cut their hair. Yeah. I mean, and men particularly. Right. Right. Because West, I mean, yeah, because Western men have short hair. Yeah. And it's like considered manly and they're trying to make him fit into this uh, value of whatever they have, which is a fashion look. And a lot of times hair is something that's also meaningful to different cultures. Right. And they know that. They know it's like literally cutting off basically some kind of like cultural limb. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever cried after a haircut, just know that. Yeah. It's not that bad. Well, or that like (laughs) I was going more of like, yeah, it's getting your haircut is so horrible that like people do it when they colonize places. You know, they're like, what's the worst punishment? It's a bad haircut. It's yeah, like that's the first start. Yeah, Tyra Banks in like whatever episode three of every yeah every episode every season. It's every like season, a haircut yeah. edict, but and there's tears and they give them the most wild haircut. It's literally yeah, she's it's just Tyra like walks Banks. around, finds the one with the most beautiful hair, and she's like pixie cut, <laughs> <laughs> spiky. Yeah, stuff is insane. Yeah, and the, the yeah the chick is like, well, I am blonde. That's nice, but um tyra's such a bully yeah um so all the samurai have to cut up cut up their ponytails it's this whole modernization initiative and the elites are like dancing the waltz they're wearing british style suits to work um it's this whole thing but then in the 30s the government starts to worry about leftist radicals and the tokyo police launch a campaign to clean up juvenile delinquency they promise to close all dance halls again we're seeing okay dance very linked to uh like subcultures and to like i mean to culture in general it's um because it's like a way of just you're just dancing around i don't know things happen yeah but white supremacy wants to make sure that you're not celebrating any culture except for whiteness which isn't a culture it's a void of culture basically i don't agree with that but i i I mean, what the, I mean, literally white supremacy, the whole point, the way it can move and shift is to make sure there's no representation of a culture. Because culture is like you're, you are, it's not work. Culture yeah. is like a part that's not work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they, yeah, they shut up to shut down. They say they're going to shut down all the dance halls and they start sweeping the streets of Ginza. Fuck, I don't know how to say that either. <laughs> Uh, for overly fashionable youth. They're literally walking around being like, who looks good? Who's fashionable? Because it's like, it means that they are like, they might be leftists. They might be radical. It's like they wanted to get, they wanted to be Western, but then they were like, you guys took it too far. Um, and so then. Because it wasn't being appropriated like in a, a serious way. It was almost like an obvious costume. And that's why they didn't like that. Well, they, they, they I think that they like, they wanted to be Western and that they wanted technology and innovation and they wanted like the capitalism of it all. But then when they, when there were 
other Western ideals that people were picking up. I think they got a little scared. Obvi and also things were just in flux, you know, and like um, diff whatever. So then World War II happens and that shakes things up as well. And Marx writes, the strict morality of imperialism had collapsed and parents worried that their children would go astray in the ensuing vacuum. And clothes were their early w warning signs. So like if you didn't wear a traditional black gacaron, if you wore denim, like there was this subculture that was emulating American greasers or who were inspired by American greasers. And it was a big deal. Everyone was freaking out that their teenagers had turned bad. I kind of want to do a whole episode on that book. So I, I'm not going to go like super, super into it. But what I'm trying to say is that while individual Harajuku tribes didn't have like it wasn't like, oh, we're the punk Harajukus and we're about anti-consumerism. We're the surfer Harajukus and we're about like hanging 10. It was kind of just like all one thing, which was Harajuku. And it so like in that way, sure, they weren't political, but they they were a reaction to or at least in conversation with a history of repressed cultural expression and in particular like a stigma around dressing Western. And so there had been this history where people were really mad at people for dressing western but for whatever reason like by the time we get to harajuku everyone's like okay whatever that's fine like it mm -hmm. wasn't the government wasn't like coming after them or whatever um and so it's like subversive in a way but it's also kind of like innocuous at this point so harajuku bubbles up and as and it does so through magazines which began not only documenting harajuku street style but involving them in the production of magazines in, in an unprecedented way so they would invite teenage girls into their offices to use like those photo machines and they offered them a lounge where they could just hang out and like be inspo. Heart Candy Magazine recruited 18 to 20 year old girls as editorial staff and the editor-in-chief editor was 23. Um, this is the context out of which came the magazine Fruits, which was basically just like the, the out, uh, pictures of people's outfits, the name of the wearer and outfit details was like the only copy. So Didn't it, that eventually become ID? did it yeah i'm almost positive it's the it's the same time period and so yeah like the same at least the same time that we're seeing id which is like also basically yeah so at the same so id was also like about authenticity and just like photographing real people it was like a real bubbling up extravaganza it was like youth were driving fashion at that point and they were people were just like we want to know what the kids are doing. The kids are cool. Whatever the kids are wearing is cool. Like that had not been how it was before. I mean, there wasn't even really teenagers like from a consumer, like a consumer group standpoint until the 60s, though. Certain men around fires have definitely tried to argue with me on that point. Just look me in the eye. I don't think that that's when teenagers came to be. Really? Fuck face? Well, why don't you read a goddamn book about it and then we can talk. Wow. So angry about it. Yeah. This happened this summer and it was just so infuriating. Yeah. I mean, men around don't just don't talk to men around uh, rings of fire. I stay. I I frankly steer clear of it. It's it's always going to. I am I have also been in many of fights or with men near a fire. There's something about like the calmness that lets them really loosen their lips or something. They're like, I don't know if you've seen any movies, but usually I'm supposed to be the one telling stories around a fire. I don't know, man. I'm just like, I know that I can be, I can really dig my heels in about things sometimes. And I was really stoned at the point at that moment to where I probably wasn't explaining myself well, but it just felt like regardless, he didn't want to hear what I had to say. 
He just didn't want to like engage with me and my idea. Yeah. And also, what does he know? Why does he think he's right? Oh, he reads history. Is that it? He's like, oh, I read. He didn't. He like said that at some point. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I really like to read history. And then this other. Oh, God, it was just like. Oh, my God. I would have gotten so annoyed, too. I'd be like, oh, you read history? You read the yeah. Declaration of Independence? That's yeah. Like- I'm like, really? I've never heard. What's history? I've never heard of it. It's like, why do you think you're the only one who fucking reads, dude? It's like, and then once you say that you read history, then all of a sudden you're the authority in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I read a book once. Yeah. And, and also people forget that teenager is a recent concept it's like the way we that we think of childhood is completely different from even like the 50s but it's like yeah i understand that like people have been going through puberty for a long time like i don't think that like like 12 year olds i don't think that like 13 year olds are a new thing as of the 60s but the way (laughs) that they influenced pop culture like they became a different group of people or or at least the terminology became more present and then also consumerism was a big impact on like how we treated like childhood versus teenager it was a it was basically we have these terminology i think people forget how much of a consumerism has rotted our brain and i feel like consumerism has rotted our brain to a point of like assuming that it's always been right consumer based and like teenager is not a new concept but it's like Again, everything has been categorized, so it's sellable. Right. And also, like, everything changed after World War II. And, like, it, it's – you also just, like, had people who were – I don't know. it. Yeah. So this is a time when teens are really, like – and I feel like we – yeah, we – now that feels like doy, like, how, how pop culture is really centered around teenagers. But it just, like, it wasn't always like that. And as a 33-year-old – you know, I'd like to have some respect around here. I want to be a driver of, of pop culture. I think you are. I like to believe we are. TikTok is really letting millennials reign free for right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so essentially the youth were guiding the direction of fashion and fashion media. And especially given that with Harajuku, it's not about what you wear, but how you wear it. The power of clothing items kind of like themselves lose, lose power. Like it doesn't really matter if you have that special expensive thing. It's really about how you style it, though. I mean, there were like a ton of stores popping up in Harajuku around this time and a lot of like um, expensive design. But um, but so like how did Harajuku become a style hub? Because I think when we t- when we think about aesthetics, like when you think about hippies, when you think about greasers, people think about it as a time but it's also a place like these subcultures existed in specific places at specific times. And like, I, and I think that like the public realm really influences how those spaces develop. So from 1977 to 1998, the main street in Harajuku called Omotesando was declared Hokoten or pedestrian Haven cars were banned every Sunday Groom rights, one of the earliest tribes arose in that area, which was the um, baby bamboo shoots tribe. And they wore garish colored shiny robes and cheap accessories like plastic whistles, long fake pearl necklaces, stuffed animals stitched to the ensembles, kung fu shoes. And they would perform choreographed dance moves for hours at um, at Yoyogi Park. And from 1982 to 1995, the Jingubashi Bridge, which is right next to Yoyogi Park, was also closed to cars and become became a hub for Harajuku fashion as well. People would pose for pictures for all the passersby who would be like, wow, look at that weird outfit. 
Groom at some point describes this duality of like connecting with people through the shared subculture of your outfits while also separating yourself from everyone else by making yourself into this like character, this kind of road side attraction. And the Jingu Bashi Bridge is, st- is like still famous for Harajuku style, even though it's no longer closed to car traffic. But um, like some people say that nowadays you go, you, you see more people looking for Harajuku dressers than like Harajuku dressers themselves but it's like it's so simple but simply having a place outside where you can exist helps to allow cultural expression to flourish in Harajuku um, you have Yoyogi Park and these pedestrian streets that are like close to restaurants and stores Um, and I think that's also important like when you have parks like we we have public space in our cities we have parks but they're siloed away from everything else like um so it like can't be as embedded into daily life like i think of cal anderson park which is in capitol hill in seattle and it's right next to everything like you can walk across the street and get ice cream or mexican food or groceries or art supplies and it's a park where people like actually kind of hang out like they live their lives they skate they like bring their dogs whatever whereas gasworks or like discovery park even volunteer park which is also in capitol hill but it's on the edge it's like not embedded into the urban fabric and like Mm. it isn't so it's like not it doesn't function the same way. Yeah, I mean Gasworks definitely is very popular though regardless. It's popular but it's not as like yeah, yeah, and people do do stuff there for sure. Do do. Do do. Um, yeah, but it's just I think the point of the park isn't to be it was more of a historical reference of the art industrial age versus like parks I think in general in cities. I think the objective is to be a part of that urban thread. So I mean it, I mean, it should be at least like, yeah. Yeah. Having and, green spaces and concrete jungles are important. Yeah. And I mean, having open space and it's like, it's not just about there being public space, but it's about not policing the public space. It's like allowing people to actually like exist and be there. Like I feel like when cities try to just like so tightly manage public spaces, it's like, okay, well, if no one can like be there and do stuff like there's not going to be that kind of like cultural expression there. I completely agree, except for when people start to like scream on their microphone about conspiracy theories really <laughs> loudly. And so you want you want like someone to step in and be like, you can't be here. Yeah, dude, like some of this stuff, like I went to Portland and they had a, oh my God, what is it called? It's like, you know how like the old 70s living rooms have that dip uh-huh yeah what is that called i thought it was just like a sunken living room well what do you call it when it's like a plaza sunken plaza yeah <laughs> they couldn't think of anything else anyways um sunken plaza situation and it's thriving because there's food carts over there and it's in no green space though but it, wait it, where is this this is in portland uh-huh. and i was great it was a lot of fun uh i had a good time people were dancing people were all enjoying it was like you know what public space should look like and then this guy got on the mic and started literally screaming about insane things. And I was just like, man, I guess it's just the vibe that we're going to have to deal with right now. And we yeah. all just try to kept trying to like act like it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, man, I really wish. I don't know. That, there yeah, were that's police like, or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's. Like, I guess what do you do in that moment except cut their cords? It really is a vibe killer. Absolute vi- instant vibe killer. I forget those people kind of people are like exist because I'm just like, you know, 
most people just want to have fun. And then there's other people that want to make sure no one's having fun. Like what? Like I don't. Anyways. Yeah. What do you think about when you're at a park and like someone else is playing music really loud? <sighs> it has to be good. Mm. I don't. I don't. I think also I'm like there's usually what happens though more than one person thinks about does that and they're all in the same vicinity and that's when i'm like one of you guys have got to talk to each other and figure out which what songs we're listening to that's what i don't like is when uh everybody's playing music at once and i'm like is are we fighting like what's happening yeah um for so public space the street like when i think of street style i think about new york because people actually walk in new york so they exist in public space when they're walking to their destinations and we've talked about this in a course we took in grad school about place attachment but like the witnessing of each other in public space is important it's about it's like if you're a like sheltered christian person and you don't know any gay people the first time you're going to see a gay person is in public space you're going to see them holding hands walking down the street or whatever oh my god that's katie perry's story what she grew up all Christian homeschooled and then she like met a gay person in LA. Wow. Yeah. And wrote, I kissed a girl. Really? Straight up. Did she kiss her actually? I mean. She's like, I talked to a girl. <laughs> I don't know the story. I don't think she actually kissed her or if she did. It was for the male gays. 100% like that song. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. And it's like where you see people wearing religious garb that like you wouldn't otherwise see you see people participating in their cultural rituals even if it's just like taking prom pictures in front of landmarks that feel important to them but even if we don't mingle like we're forced to acknowledge each other's existences when we're in and so like the more we build cities for cars the less we can do this like uh, like if you're in fucking like Houston or whatever and you're not near a park like you're not walking around Houston like right I mean I haven't been to Houston in a really long time but it's like car centric cities it's like you're not it like oh I can tell I mean no I can tell you about Dallas never mind Dallas has like six trees that's it <laughs> yeah it's like if you don't if it's not comfortable to be in public space people aren't going to do it even whether that's like the sidewalks are too narrow or there's no shade it's like even a lot of places in LA like you can't really just like walk around so like we're diminishing like our opportunities to like literally just see each other. We have to allow people to use public space. And um, but it's like not just a product of urban design, of urban design. Of course, it's a product of ding, ding, ding. What is the thing that's what's the root of all evil today? Capitalism. I was going to say social media. Social media <laughs> was what I was getting at. But uh, yeah, I was close. You were close. Yeah. <laughs> Which gets back to a piece we read uh, maybe like two years ago at this point by Drew Austin called Worn Out, where he writes, fashion is a mode of display that enriches public space and a culture's shared meanings. As it enters the culture, it ceases to strictly belong to anyone. It can be observed and often copied without having to pay anyone for the privilege that is, it creates positive externalities, benefits for which people don't have to explicitly pay, but can enjoy just by being present in shared space. Um, and this is not the case, however, when we share pictures of our outfits on Instagram, when we are seeing people wearing stuff 
on Instagram and not actually in real life. These photos instead become currency within an algorithm. Even if you don't actually like click a link and buy something, you're providing your engagement um, to an influencer. You feed Instagram information about yourself, which they profit, profit of. The positive, what was now a positive, what was before a positive externality is now like not a free service. And I also think it's disconnected from subculture because there's no place that the outfits are existing. It's not like, oh, there's this group of people who dress like this and hang out in this one place. You're just seeing individual people online wearing stuff and it's not actually tied to a subculture. And uh, it makes me think of the Terry Nguyen piece, Trends Are Dead, where she's like, like we have all these terms for things like coastal grandmother, like what's another one? Like coastal grandmother is one of the least. Well, I don't think anybody knows that one. I hear it so often. Do you? Yeah. Like bachelor people know it. Oh, I guess that's not a crew I hang out with. So well, like, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like it's not an actual thing. Cottage core. Cottage core, though, like there are it's like cottage core has some subcultural meanings of like DIY and uh, like escapism and whatnot. Like I feel like there's a production of quote unquote, it's not, they're not subcultures, they're trends and it is different. And I feel like we're being fed, like it's almost like we're being told that there's it's almost like they want to be like, hey, there, here's the subculture that, and like you can dress like this, but it's like it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just an aesthetic that pretty much just exists on the Internet. Like I feel like half the time I'm like, oh, I've been seeing this around. You're like, but have you been seeing it around? I'm like, no, I've yeah. been seeing it on the Internet exclusively. Yeah. And so it's like not actually rooted in place you're not it's not a dance it's not a dance hall where you're going and pe you're seeing people in these outfits you're not seeing people walk around the street it's just tiktok telling you that this is a thing that's trending yeah you're in your house people are dressing up you don't actually see anybody dressing up like you do in on tiktok right except sometimes it start you start seeing it sometimes you do People are like, I like it. And then you're like, oh, they watched the same TikTok as I did. Right. Which and so like it's not that I mean, yeah, some people do leave the house wearing these things, but it, it feels like instead of it starting in a place, it starts on the Internet and in, in the ether, in the ether. And so it's not really like someone's home. It's never a gang. Yeah. It's never people communicating. It's just like usually a single person and then another person like somehow might get the same idea around the same time because that happens a lot. But yeah, it's all theories. It's also a lot of people on the TikTok, Tiki Taki, just being like, let's make some shit up. I don't know. It feels like they're like, what do you think is going to be next? And then people are like, put two words together. Yeah, it feels. Yeah, totally. And it feels like we want we're like hungry for what is relevant at that minute it's like oh this thing is trending it's almost like you you literally just say it's trending and then it's trending even though it's not trending it's like because there's no actual uh critical mass to it there's not like it's not like like I don't th I think when people say something's trending half the time it's like 
you just wrote that. Like, is Indie Sleaze back? Like, is it? People have been saying it. Is Indie Sleaze back? Uh, the photography is back. The photography is back. Yeah. But, but is what did that come from? Yeah. Did it, someone just say it? And did someone just manifest it into the reality? Um, and, and I think like the main point is that like it's not it's not we don't have subculture really. No, not, not anymore, because I mean, also public space is at risk, I feel like. Yeah. And you have to be you can't be spending your time sitting at home watching TV. You have to be existing in the world for there to be culture or subculture. Really. And people don't like that anymore. People make jokes about things canceling. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, everybody's overworked and exhausted and just wants to tune out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I totally agree with that. But I mean, I think for the sake of humanity, you guys, we got to dress up, wear your ugliest clothes and you'll and then find someone else that's also wearing the ugliest clothes. And then you're in a gang. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This gang is about literally trying, literally like, I don't know. What's the gang about? I don't know. It's just like you not watching TV. It's all about you not, you know, just getting out into public space, hanging out together. Yeah. You have to talk. And it's like, it does, public space is a really important place where it happens, but it can be like in third places as they say, you know, like the concept of a third place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's not your There's home. A- it's not your office. It's like a third place where you go and you hang out. Um, There's an architecture firm named that. It's like, yeah, that feels kind of like a bold move to take that name. But yeah, third place for a uh, third place firm or something like that. There's also third place books. I, well, I, I can tell you about third place for the firm. My friend worked there and they were like a co-op. They're supposed to be all they do that whole employee. Like an ESOP. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. Anyways, just yeah. wanted to talk shit about third place, the f- architectural firm for a second. Nice. Um, yeah. So like, and I think it's interesting that when we see influencers online in crazy outfits, like sometimes you'll see someone comment on it being like, you don't actually like go outside like this. And it's like, it's an attack on the meaning of the clothing because like Sarah, Sarah Campo, you know, like she does like the wears crazy stuff. Oh, yeah, I know her. I, I Oh, I know her. <laughs> yeah, she's huge. She's huge now. And people will sometimes comment on her stuff being like, there's no way you actually wear that because and it is meaningful to people because if she doesn't wear it out and about, it changes the meaning of totally what she's doing. She made a whole TikTok about how she definitely did. She definitely does. And I'm, I was just like, well, how, you can't prove it to us on TikTok. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. You're doing it in front of the camera. What about it? The whole point is not to be doing it on the camera. Do right. you do that without the, the being watched? Yeah. And I just think it's interesting how like it sounds so obvious kind of when you say it out loud. But it's like if you you can wear you can dress like a greaser in like 1950s Japan. But if you're at home, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless you're witnessed because clothes are a language. And if you're not, they don't. If the tree falls (laughs) in the forest, can you can you see what it's wearing? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's like we have to exist. We have to be witnessed wearing things or else our clothes aren't. It's like there's no message then. And like so it's just funny to me that like that's the thing people will see these influences and they're like, 
you aren't actually going outside in that. Um, I feel like anybody that's in a New York influencer these days, I'm like, they definitely are. Because New York, I feel like everybody's just dressed like an insane person in New York. Mm -hmm. And they're allowed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about it like the dominant narrative of of dress in Seattle and and what what like if Polemus was saying like we we declare what's important to us through our dress it's literally work and like that's what work and looking like you care about the environment yeah and so like and so that the Drew Austin piece that we that I mentioned like the he's talking about the positive externalities of dressing up in public space and and being witnessed and how that is removed on the internet and then also he's talking about how the people who run the internet like the whole tech industry is like profiting off of fashion but like denigrates it as being beneath them and the whole tech aesthetic like we used to wear suits to work and that was about upward mobility and now it's like pretending that you're way too important for clothes and so like you yeah and so that's that's what that's what the tech aesthetic is basically is like yeah oh man i love to go i never i talk about this a lot and never makes sense when i'm talking about it i feel like i sound like a is it making sense is what i'm saying making sense i mean yeah because maybe maybe you guys tell me because like i talked about this with you you know and i feel like it makes me sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist when i'm like tech bro style is intentional so because like they don't want to look like they're being productive or they want to look like they're always considering productivity over fashion like that's yeah that that is the consciousness that is what they are wearing they're trying to be perceived that they don't care but they do care about just getting to work um and so drew austin talks about how like um a lot of the tech execs want to look like they don't care but they're actually hiring stylists and paying them a ton of money to help them dress and Which again sounds like a conspiracy theory right but it's real it's real and like and that's like i feel like a crazy person when i tell people that it's like not okay that i'm not allowed to wear like cute outfits to work mm-hmm. but it's like people just don't realize that you are expressing through your clothes that you agree that efficiency is the most important thing. You are rejecting femininity as superfluous. Ever since the great renunciation, which a few of these texts that I talked about today talk about the great renunciation, which is when I think it was like during the 18th century, it was decided that like or not decided, but it just happened that like here, I'm just going to say that. I'm, just I'm gonna... sure decided somebody a group of you know white men got together for sure right so the great masculine renunciation was the renunciation of exotic adornment and apparel in the late 18th century when most western men reacting to the french revolution began to limit their appearance um to one which emphasized business-like sobriety and respectability at the expense of experimentation and like frivolousness Central to this transition was the male suit, which generally became an emblem of conformity, compliance with work ethic, and conservatism, and which symbolized the renunciation of that delight in bodily adornment, which had in the past typified male appearance in the West. And it's like, every day people are participating in this, they're like 
they think they're too good for dressing up. They think that you are vain, like we. They think people who... Like us. Like us. I feel like I'm being constantly judging for giving a shit. Yeah, and it's like... Especially with our, like, hippie, down-to-earth, almost tech friends. They're not techie, but they could work for a tech firm. Right. I feel like. Right. I mean, the other day I went to a meeting with, like, city staff, and I was wearing really basic trousers and then you know like a beautiful mauve blouse just a regular old beautiful mauve blouse like with a with the sweater vest over it and I was like I look I mean I, it was very twee it was very like vintage and it's like I felt I mean I also there were some other things going on I was like I'm not even sure my boss wants me at this meeting right now did I just fuck up and like some of that going on but it's like it's you stand out. I stand out every day and I'm like not even doing that much. I'm not even doing that much. Like it's crazy to me that people don't realize that every day when they get dressed, they're saying, I agree that efficiency is what's most important and that being feminine is super dumb. is dumb. It's dumb. They yeah. think it's dumb. Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, I definitely have worn some things. Mind you, I've worn some things. <laughs> I have worn <laughs> some things. You, mean, you know how the puffy headband is in? Like, we've worn them. I mean, again, I've told people that, and then they're like, is it in, or are you just seeing this on your corner of the internet? And it's like... Both. I've seen people wear it. I mean, I wore it. Right. So, therefore, yeah, I saw it in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of people were wearing it. Me. <laughs> uh, anyways. I mean, I was wearing it, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then I bought, I got these from garage sales. So somebody decided to wear at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. anyways, I got mine and mine, one of mine's bright yellow and it does look like a banana on my head. <laughs> it's really hard to not see that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did wear it to work once cause I had a dirty hair and then my, one of my coworkers did audibly laugh at me and I was like, does it look like a banana? And, and he was like, yeah, I didn't want to say it. And I was like, <laughs> Well, you're laughing I've literally at me. seen you wear that multiple times and I've never thought banana. Well, because you're creative mindset. You know, you think outside the box outfit wise. You never think people are wearing objects on their head because right. you appreciate the art that is outfits. Right. I see that and I'm like art. They see that and they're like, this must be gravity. Gravity did this. <laughs> Jackie must have forgotten that she put her banana on her head. Yeah. She it's like to- when you drive away with your coffee on your car. <laughs> Exactly. You're exactly. like, oopsie. Forgot to take my banana <laughs> yeah, off my head. Exactly. Well, me a snack. Uh, you know where you classically put a, it does fit the shape of the top of your head. We should be carrying our bananas more on should our head. Should we make a line of merch that's banana banana headbands? I um I mean they already are out there apparently and I I got it. So, I perfect. Mean, um but yeah, it is kind of like going in to and I'm definitely the most fashionable one out of my work is that my ego being like that anyways no um i definitely am the one that cares that's what i mean like i'm definitely the one that is like going out of my way to think about how i want to be seen Mm -hmm. and not if it's going to be cold or if i'm even that comfortable i definitely think about comfortability as an aspect but i think it's more about being seen the way i want to be seen yeah which is i'm fashion like i care about fashion I care about clothes. I, I thought about this creatively. Yeah. I mean, I just feel good when I, I just like, I like 
clothing and I like I and we've talked about this where at one point you were like if you have to wear different clothes for work like can you even have personal style if it's like you can't right wear your personal style all the time and I've been trying to like meet in the middle of like trying to have my daily outfits be similar whether I'm going to work or not and so there's like some compromise happening but it's like I feel like it's radical even that I wear like my cloud sweater to work and I'm just like I don't I does anybody else struggle with this I just feel like I we talk about this and I'm like yeah yeah duh Mm -hmm. I feel I feel this a hundred percent but I feel like a lot of other people are like I remember being like do you feel weird ever showing your shoulders to one of my coworkers? because that feels insane to me really well, yeah, I'm just like for someone that doesn't that obviously cares about being seen as professional, mm. I, this coworker in particular, mm-hmm. I was just like, are we just showing shoulders, though? Because it just seems like there's shoulders are not professional. And maybe again, I'm just constantly thinking about professionality and I'm, th- I'm constantly thinking about like how I can push the boundary um, without showing skin because I'm like, that's what keep keeps me enhanced with like. Mm-hmm. the professional aspect mm-hmm. yeah i'm liking the idea lately of i want to be doing a lot of things to button downs like cro- cropping button downs i'm already seeing it i'm like god fucking damn it i thought of this first <laughs> a crop button down and like died and it's like basically to be like i'm wearing the button down and, but like subverting it at the same time and it's just it it's the kind of thing where it's like it's so hard to communicate to people why it matters to me exactly and that's what i'm saying i'm like yeah exactly i mean it's always that's the whole thing i sound like a conspiracy theorist when i'm like no it matters it matters and it's always mattered and if you it gets better (laughs) (laughs) if if what we wore didn't matter we would see people dressed like punks giving us the news on tv but we don't yeah who do we see delivering the news it's people with like normal looking hair, normal looking outfits. They are communicating that they're upholding the cultural norm. I get my news on TikTok and sometimes the person that is giving me the news is under a table. <laughs> so <laughs> different, <laughs> different kind of news network, but uh, it's called news under a table, by the way. Anyways, but is it they, good? yeah, they give, I think very good inf- like information that you need to know. Um, it's just like the news. Yeah. <laughs> but it's by bi- it's biased in the sense of being like, I, I, I'm not sure if I, I have the full information. They'll sometimes say that. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. But basically, I guess the whole this whole episode was kind of like touching on a lot of themes that we explored last season and like expressing this thesis of like uh, clothing being a language and that. Every day that you get dressed, you are choosing what to say with your clothes. Whether you think clothing matters, whether clothing matters to you or not, your outfits are being read. I'm just getting mad thinking about someone talking to us about this right now. It's, this is why we do what we do <laughs> in far away from everyone else. Yeah, we're scre- like I, we're trying to just push this message that it matters and you actually need to believe it because I will like freak out if you <laughs> yeah uh luckily we get to just be in this this little bubble little bubble in your basement i don't know why it's so hard for people to grasp 
it's, it's also like so we were at a party and rye was doing the lord's work and brought up the podcast even though rye doesn't listen to the podcast but <laughs> they read the they read stuff uh what do they read comments on the podcast that's a, that's close oh enough. yeah and there was someone there who like really shared this belief they had been they were going off at the moment about like they're like our rich people don't even look good like if you go back to like you know france and whatever like at least there was inequality but at least the people on top looked good and mm-hmm. i was like yes blah blah, blah. um and amen yeah th- there was someone there Tell kim kardashian off she needs to get better fashion yeah no more body con yeah and this this person was there who was like people feel offended by it and i get it because it's like a lot of fashion to people feels like being wrong it feels like you you don't know what you feel good in you don't feel expressive with your clothes you don't maybe you don't even like feel comfortable in, in your body and like well, they just don't want to be yelled at for not being good enough i think that's also one of them they like, don't want to say anything with their clothes because they don't want to say anything wrong they right. it's like and they don't want to be challenged on it because it's like exhausting to exist already yeah i mean i just it's like i don't i'm not like mad at anyone for what they i wear. am i am i'm mad at you for put it together i mean i don't know i'm just like try overcome seek deeper if you're freaking about out about like the clothes ask yourself why because it's because it gives you a panic attack because you don't know and that's the thing i'm like just go deeper in it and figure it out well we learn to dress from society it's like you i don't know it's i think i think people can say a lot of different things with their clothes like i think people feel like what they're saying is that they like want to be sustainable or they want to like not be consumers and so people just like don't it's like that i don't think that that's like a bad way to be but like it yeah so i don't really know how to rectify that honestly yeah no i just feel like it takes time to figure out your own personal style. And I think that's the big, that's the big stopping point. And people just want to be like, get mad about it. I'm just like, you're afraid to take on that challenge because it is time consuming. And you'd have to think about what you like and what you don't like. And that gives a lot of people. I mean, to me, personal, it's like personal style is something I indulge in because I enjoy it. And I love looking good, TBH. And I think like, people don't have to care about their own personal style for me, but it's like, you have to know what your clothes are saying. I feel like I just want people to at least understand that clothes have meaning and that when they decide what to wear, they are exactly saying what they believe with their clothes. Exactly. Exactly. And not believe that they're not saying anything. I think that is the most annoying People think clothing can be neutral and it cannot. It cannot be. It shows how you understand the situation it's like shows how you understand your experience of the world it shows like how you feel about like the status quo that you live with it shows class it shows your class like and and what class you want to be or like how you understand your class it's just uh you can't escape it so sorry yeah stop trying stop yelling (laughs) they're like you're yelling i know i but i am just like i am very and i'm also though am pro figuring out your own personal style just because once you start to acknowledge how you're being represented do you want to be represented as i don't know like as you were i feel like a lot of people the whole reason of not acknowledging it is the plus it's like you think you're you're 
you're you're not saying anything and then when you start to acknowledge it you're gonna have to realize that you are saying something and then you're gonna have to dive into that personal aesthetic well i think that like if we are thinking about subcultures versus dominant culture essentially you could just pick one you could say i'm gonna dress like the dominant culture which is like frankly right now in seattle outdoor wear outdoors wear like vests vests like Puffy, uh, puffy puffy jackets like work wear i think is like kind of accepted within like whatever so and like, there's also queer queer aesthetic that's i way more interesting and probably and not a, maybe it's a subculture but it's just like very very popular around the, it's a subculture it's, yeah. i mean yeah it's like it's so i guess what i'm saying is like personal style i feel like is a separate thing from either choosing to wear what everyone else is wearing or choosing to wear something that says that you like disagree or whatever and if there's a world where the dominant culture like things haven't always been shifting so much right like there were times and places maybe where like everyone dressed the same as each other like that's I think part of what Polemus was saying was that like there was a time in the world where like personal style wasn't really a thing you just dress like everyone else and we only really have personal style right now because we have like literally so many options of what to wear mm -hmm. so it's like I don't think I love personal style and I think like people would benefit from like developing theirs. But I also acknowledge that like it is the result of globalism and capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we have access to wearing literally so many different things. And that's what makes it overwhelming to people. It's like there's right. so many fucking choices. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot there's a lot of sensory things going on for me yeah i know i was like i lost her this it's it's hard to be really in it when you're i like, i was here but i was definitely thinking about what the hell camera like and i was definitely going through a couple processes of like what it could be couldn't figure that out definitely started thinking about the microphone issue because that was another like how did our thing die then how did my microphone just make weird sounds and my camera overheat? How did all yeah, of that happen? I thought money was supposed to solve your problems and the amount of money that's been spent on this equipment. <laughs> it's like it should have no problems. Um, but I, yeah, I was definitely like, okay. Yeah. There were moments where I was just like kind of going through the list of like what it could be, you know, and that was annoying to me. See, zoom. Um, anyway, yeah. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to <laughs> Should us. We start over. <laughs> <laughs> JK, we're not going to do that. Nope. Yeah. Welcome back to tech problem issues and more of us. Is that was that the end of the? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Love I love you. you. Bye. Bye.